Well, hey, everybody. Um, see a lot of new faces. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, I'm Wesley Skinner. My wife, Monica, will be up here uh, in just a few minutes uh, to share about uh, some of her girls that she worked with this year. Um, you know, as we were coming back and, uh, and I started talking uh, with David about having the opportunity to share, I'm like, you know, the only time I ever get to, to share is like I'm, I'm just ta- telling people about global missions. And I'm like, you know, I sat there for a little bit and I was a little disappointed with that because I'm like, there's so much stuff that I want to talk about and so many things that um, I want to share with people. But then I started thinking about it a little more. And I'm like, you know, there's not really anything more pressing to me that I get the privilege to share because I get to do this, you know, every now and then. And I get to do something that I get to share my heart and pour that out but then bring in uh, what I see in Scripture and how I see God working through nations and, and bringing people to Him globally and His global purposes. And that's something that really um, is a motivating thing to me and is something that I'm really passionate about as I read through Scripture and see God's working. And something that, as David was sharing about Romans in the introduction there, and he says the, the gospel came to the, Jew, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Something that um, I've thought a lot about, especially recently, is how, as a people in America, and as people that, you know, I don't know how many people come from Jewish descent here, but as people that primarily probably don't come from a Jewish descent here, it's a very good thing for us that our God is the God of nations. Because otherwise, we would be hopeless, if it wasn't for people years and years ago being sent out with the gospel and, and God saying, go and make disciples of all nations and their eventual obedience in that, um, where would we be today? Um, we we are, are grafted into the family of Christ because of his love for nations and the obedience of people to be sent. Um, and so... It's, it's a good thing for me as I, as I think about that and I look at what God's heart is for the nations. It's a privilege to share about that. And so today I want to share a little bit about our year in Asia. Uh, and I'll give you a little bit of information about that. But then um, I wouldn't be uh, doing justice to what I, I see the Lord uh, putting in front of me without a, a challenge there as well um, for us. And so... Uh, as we look at things, just a little bit of background, because I do see a lot of new faces. Um, my name is Wesley Skinner. Monica will be up here in a minute. We work for the mission organization Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, and we've worked for Campus Crusade for five years now. We spent four years uh, on full-time staff at UAH um, and served over the last year in Asia. Uh, and so over the last year, uh, what we've been doing, we went to... A, a nation that is, uh, is illegal to share the gospel in. And we were there uh, leading a team of eight people uh, over this year. And what kind of our daily uh, life looked like a little bit is we were there as students because it's a closed country. And so we actually took classes uh, in the mornings to learn language. And we had the afternoons and evenings to meet students, build relationships with them, and share the gospel. And something that in a close country you have to be a little more careful about as you, as you do share with people. When we had, um, we, we've gone over uh, two times before taking over six-week summer project trips uh, of students uh, from different universities. And when our summer project came over to where we were, we, where we were on the receiving end uh, for a change, Um, the thing that we told them because we had a lot of security issues this year was we wanted to see them uh, meet, not share before the fourth appointment with a person. And so it takes a little more time in this context to be able to get to the gospel and to be able to share. But what we saw this year, um, and I'm just going to give you a little snapshot because there are way too many things that I want to say for the time that we have. But um, we saw kind of a story of, of two things this semester, this year. We saw in fall semester, 
fruitful ministry, God working and moving in the hearts of people. And we saw really fruitful ministry and saw amazing things happening, not just with us going and sharing and meeting people, but also with the students that we were interacting with being trained and going out on their own initiative um, to meet students and share the gospel with them. And we saw amazing fruit from those students as they went out. About a fourth of the of the students that um, that started relationships with Christ in the fall semester um, did so because of these students going out and sharing. And so we uh, that's what the the fall semester looked like for us. Spring semester was a completely different story. In spring semester, we really um, felt the weight of the spiritual battle that we were in. Uh, we saw intense spiritual warfare um, go on in, in the spring semester. We had uh, our team of eight that we started the year with. Um, by the time we left, was down to six because uh, one guy had to come home for health reasons. Another girl had to come home because of depression. Um, it's, it's something that you don't understand um, just what kind of spiritual battle you're in until you're right there in that and you start seeing those things happen. We had security issues that came up just majorly um, in the spring semester that, that put us to a point um, for a little while where they had named one of our guys by name, knew that he was a missionary there. And we really just had to pull him back um, and, and just kind of put him on pause for a little while because he was very close to not being able to stay in the country and marry his... He, he married a national staff in June um, that's over there. We, did, we definitely wanted him to stay and get married before, um, before he wasn't allowed back in the country uh, to do that. And so that's what our... Uh, that's what a little bit of an overview of the year looked like for us. So it really was, we saw the fruitful ministry um, that's there, and we also saw the hardship uh, that comes and the, and the spiritual warfare side of things. And so um, the, the, way that, um, the way that we, kind of the strategy that we had while we were there, build relationships with students, share the gospel with them, one-on-one discipleship, and plug them in uh, to an underground church. And uh, it's really simple, and it's, that's actually a little bit refreshing about it, is because we were in a closed country, things were simple, and, and that was something that, that was actually really refreshing and, and made ministry really sweet um, in a lot of ways. And so part of, part of what I want to share, um, Monica's going to share some stories about uh, some of the girls that she worked with this year. Um, and then I want to tell you a little bit about long-term vision of, of what it is that we did and how the, the year that we're there and the ministry that happens with those teams every year um, impacts more than just that year, but continues on with ripple effects for people groups that are unreached and unengaged. Um, and so I, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. Monica, go ahead and, and come and share about some of your girls. Hello. Um, I think we have some pictures. I'm going to talk about a few of my girls. Um, it's really amazing how I feel like the older I get, um, which is getting really old recently, um, like every time I meet new students, I kind of, I don't know, the, the back of my mind is like, I'm the, um, this is my job and they're a student. But it was really um, great this year how these students really became my friends, very close friends. And it wasn't a, they're the student and I'm teaching them. But in a lot of ways, I think they taught me more about the Lord than I probably taught them. And they probably had a greater impact on my life than I had on theirs. And so um, just really, really dear friends. And so this first um, girl, if you follow me at all on Facebook or Twitter, you probably see me mention her about every five and a half seconds because she's probably my closest friend. But her name is Sunny. And she's a sophomore in college. And the first time I met her uh, was actually in our language class. The university had brought in some students who were volunteering to be language partners for foreign students. And so she was someone who had volunteered to help foreigners learn the language. And so she was introducing herself, and she said, My name's Sunny. I study history, and I'm a Christian. And at first, I was just like, wow, that's really bold of her to say in front of the professor that's here. And just um, most students aren't that forward with their beliefs. And so um, 
after all, the group of students introduced themselves. You know, the professor told him to take a seat, and I just looked at Sunny, and I was like, come here to me. <laughs> like, please come sit next to me. And we were instant friends from then. And um, I actually learned a couple days later, we sat down and we started going through the sheets of paper that the team the year before had left. Um, they come during the summer, and they meet students, and then they want them to be followed up with, so they write all the contact information down. And then when the new stint team comes in, they get these forms, and they follow up. So I'm going through these forms, and I see a name, and it says Sunny, and she studies history and, you know, all these things about her. And it turns out it was the same girl. And so Sunny had actually been met the summer before I even got there. And so um, Sunny's one of those girls that she just she just gets it. Every, she just bleeds the gospel. Like, everything about her life um, is to serve the Lord and to worship him. And um, every time she'd talk about a friend, she'd be like, I have this friend, and I shared with him, and they don't believe yet, but I really think they will. Um, and it's like every time I would talk to her, there was someone she was sharing with or someone she was praying for um, to believe. And so, um, and she was always teaching her friends how to share. And so the next picture, actually, I think um, is a great um, just depiction of this. And on the far right is Sunny, and then her friend Claire, and then Hannah. And all of these girls were in that group of contacts that we got at the beginning of the year. Um, Sunny has been a believer for several years. Her mom's a believer as well. Um, but Claire had actually just accepted the Lord a couple weeks before I even got to Asia. Um, and then her friend Hannah isn't a believer and so what I would see as I spent time with them is you have Sunny, a very mature believer, who is spending time with Claire and teaching her how to share her faith and how to read the Bible and how to pray. And then you have Claire, who's getting really excited about this, sharing them for the first time with Hannah, who doesn't believe. And it was just a great representation of how, um, not just in Asia, but just our lives work, you have this, this the mature believers who invest in the immature believers who want to go and reach the people, you know, who, who aren't yet believers. Um, it was just a beautiful picture of the gospel um, being shared um, amongst all the friends. Um, and then I think I have one more picture. Um, this is Lucky, which I pronounced her name wrong for like the first four months because there's a U in it. So I always wanted to say Loki, but I was wrong. Um, but I actually met her at... Um, it's called an EV party, which EV stands for evangelism. And so any excuse to have a party, which usually revolved around holidays... We would have a get-together, invite our friends, tell them to invite our, their friends. They would all come to our apartment, and we would play games and eat snack food and then eventually share. And so it was really fun trying to see how creative we can tie these themed parties into the gospel. It's like, hey, it's um, St. Patrick's Day. Did you know that we're lucky that we're chosen? You know, and like coming up with these weird ways to tie in themed parties. But I met Lucky at a Halloween party, and uh, she came with some other friend that I invited her, and... Um, followed up with her after the party and got to share with her several times. And she ended up um, about three or four appointments in of seeing her, putting her faith in the Lord. Um, and I think what impacted me the most is Lucky's one of the first people I've met that everything literally is brand new information. Um, and I think I take advantage of that a lot. Like in America, you meet someone and you start talking about Christian-related things or like things about the Bible and about God. And a lot of the times it's kind of familiar. Like even if they've never believed it or they didn't grow up in church, they're at least familiar with a lot of the ideas. But Lucky knew absolutely nothing. Everything was a brand new idea to her. And so I think it was really great for me as I would disciple her and take her through, um, take her through scripture and how to pray and even just teaching her how to pray. Um, seeing that was a completely foreign concept to her of talking to someone who's not physically there and what that means. And, um, and so it was just really great. Um, and the, just the last day I saw her even just saying like, I want to know more. How can I know more? Um, you're going, you know, and so getting her plugged into, um, underground churches and stuff where she continue, can continue to grow. So that's just a few of the girls that I had this year. Kind of an update with, kind of an update with um, with Hannah. Hannah is a believer now, and Hannah's plugged into uh, the local uh, underground church that we work with um, there mostly. And I'll show you a picture in just a minute of, of the pastor there. Um, this is this is Levi. Um, one of the cool things that a lot of people don't realize: we were in a country that. Uh, is very unreached uh, with the gospel that you share with a person, and you really are um, sharing brand new information with them. A lot of times, um, a country where most people have never held a Bible in their hands, um, 
And the thing that some people don't realize is that there's a a 10% minority that is within this country that, I mean, 10% of this country is still a lot of people. That's half as many people as live in all of America, this 10% minority. Um, This 10% minority is a lot of small um, people groups that have their own language, their own culture. And many of these people groups are considered unreached or unreached and unengaged people groups. If you, if you go and look at Joshua Project and things like that and find out this information. Um, Levi is a minority. Um, Levi is from a people group that uh, his story kind of starts when he was in high school. There was a foreign missionary that was there teaching uh, English to people. Uh, shared the gospel with Levi. Levi and three of his friends placed their faith in Christ. And uh, later on, that that um, that missionary was kicked out of the country, which is something that is really hard about reaching these minority groups is it's so hard for foreigners to stay there in reaching out to them. They don't just let people go into these people groups uh, to share. And so the cool thing with Levi, I met him. He's a sen- He was a senior this year, just graduated. And... Levi, as I was talking to him and finding out, you know, what what his plans are after graduation, uh, a lot of minority students have a program that they come to college through that their college is paid for in exchange for them going back to their hometown and teaching for 10 years. And so Levi is going back to his hometown now to teach. Um, and I asked him about, you know, who's there? Are there, is, are there any churches? Are there people there reaching out? There are no people. Uh, reaching out to his uh, people group. And the cool thing for him is that he has his three friends who also went to college with the same uh, program that are all coming back. So now Levi and his friends, he's reconnected with them, and we've gotten them connected with some of our, um, with some of our church planning um, uh, people in the country. And they're, gonna, they're going back to plan a church and reach out to their people group, and they very well may be some of the first people to share the gospel in this dialect. That's something that that is just an amazingly foreign concept to me, to think that there are people that have never heard the gospel in their own language, in their heart language. Um, and, And he has the potential to do that this year and to see a ripple effect happen. And this is what I'm talking about with a ripple effect, that as we reach students with the gospel here on this college campus and they graduate, especially these minority students that have an opportunity to go back to a people group that I can't just walk into and really speak to. Because even if I speak, you know, the standard language, um, that's not exactly their heart language. And so there can be some things communicated, but we saw this year, even as we learned things, um, it was so much more helpful for us to bring along uh, one of our students that was a believer to help um, to help explain things in, in, in ways that we just haven't been able to grasp the language enough to do. And so to send people out just like this, uh, Levi's an example of a minority. We had a lot of other minority students that are being sent out. One um, that uh, is actually this summer, her uh, and another girl that is just graduating also, were going to a bordering country for a summer project. Um, a different closed country that's bordering this nation to spend two weeks there sharing the gospel with people. The really cool thing that we saw this year that we weren't, we, we kind of caught the tail end of, but from the country we were in and the region that we were from, there was a team that was raised up and sent out to that same bordering country um, to, for a year-long stint just like we did. Those are really cool things to me to see happen that, that you're not just, we're not just the Americans coming in and being the hope for everyone, but we're going in. It's not just Americans that are missionaries. Um, we're raising up people that have an opportunity to go to places that they're better received than we are. And the, the, the people um, where we were have a vision of continuing to see the gospel continue west back to Jerusalem as the gospel started in the Middle East and moved westward and progressed and has come back around to the Far East now to see that continue back to Jerusalem. And that's just a a really cool picture to me of a vision that they have to see 
the, the ripple effect continue. If you go to the next picture, um, this is a picture of Alex, his wife Ella, and their little, little baby Ella. Um, and Alex is the local church, uh, underground church pastor that we worked with um, most of the time. And the cool story of Alex, he's a great story of what we desire to see happen in everyone's life. He's, he's the characteristic of when building sin. Um, Alex was met by uh, a student that came over for a six-week summer project. He heard the gospel for the first time, placed his faith in Christ. Um, and the following year, when the stint team got there uh, in the, for the start of fall, he was followed up by the stint team, grew in his faith. And then when he graduated, saw the need for there to be a church planted close to campus because there was, there was nowhere for students to really be involved in a church there. And so now Alex planted a church probably three years ago uh, where we are, and we saw a lot of our students get involved in the church. And we had such a great partnership with him because we had a place to plug our students into that placed their faith in Christ. And Alex was pushing his students right back out for, to us for training and to help go and share with other people on campus. Uh, we even saw when we were doing Christmas parties that we would invite students over uh, and tell them what the real meaning of Christmas and share the gospel with them. They made sure that some of their students came to those parties to help us translate and also to invite their friends. They even um, donated money for snacks for these parties. And that was something that was one of the most humbling things that I've ever seen. He's a, he's a, a bivocational pastor that runs an internet business. Um, so that he can provide for his family, and they're giving to to some to to help us with outreaches. Um, that was one of the things that you you look at this, and and it's something that I didn't want to take their giving in this. But how do you prevent someone from being a part of what you're doing? Um, it was really a, a really humbling thing. Uh, to see this happen. And this is just a little picture of kind of the cycle that we want to see happen with a lot of students. We want to see them come to faith in Christ, grow in their faith, see the need to share that with people around them and be sent out all over um, their their country and the rest of the world to to see the need to share the gospel with people, especially these minority groups that they're unreached and unengaged people groups that they have an opportunity to go to possibly... Um, and possibly share in that in that dialect for the first time. Those are really motivating things for me to to hear and to think about. Um, but like I said, this year wasn't wasn't just all um, success stories and 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 wonderful uh, victories that we saw God do. There were there were a lot of hard things that happened. Um, uh, there were a lot of things that um, that we really saw and and felt the need for prayer for. And I want to I spend uh, just a little bit of time as we look at God's heart for, um, for the nations. And I want us to look at the very first missionary that we see in Scripture. Look at Jonah. Um, Jonah is a great picture of an imperfect missionary because Jonah is disobedient all, through, throughout the entire book. Um, we see God using a person that's disobedient. We see God using him to show him a lot of things. And one of the things that we see throughout the book of Jonah, and go back and read it. It takes you all of five minutes. Um, go, go read it sometime later today. Um, and you'll see something happen. And the thing that you'll see come out a lot in the book of Jonah is God's sovereignty. You see God's sovereignty come out in ways that that are really, uh, really interesting. Two things that I want to look at in the book of Jonah is God using his sovereignty to get Jonah where he wanted him to go and to reveal the things that were in Jonah's heart and how that, um, how that interacts with God's character. And so as I look at this... Um, God's sovereignty and mission is something that I feel like a lot of people have uh, trouble reconciling a lot of times because it's like God doesn't actually need me to go. If God wants these people 
to know Him. He can do it. He doesn't need me. And that's a very true statement. He doesn't need us. But He allows us the privilege of going and being a part of what He's doing. Um, we, we get to be uh, people that, that have the blessing to do that. Um, and so I, I, I hear a lot of people sometimes say, say things like that. My disobedience is something that if I'm not obedient to the call that God places on my life, then he'll just use someone else and, and I won't receive the blessing. And that's a very comforting statement. But I'm not exactly sure how often God works. I'm sure he works that way sometimes. But I'm not exactly sure how often he works that way and he doesn't work in the similar ways that he does to Jonah. Because what we see in the book of Jonah is as Jonah goes out and he's disobedient, it's kind of like if you have a kid. I'm not a parent yet, but I imagine that this would, would be a good thing to do. If you have a kid and you said, go and clean your room, and the kid just didn't do it, and you came along and gave someone five bucks to go and clean it for them, what do they actually learn from that? And if you ask them the next time to go and clean their room, are they going to do it? Or are they just going to go, well, I don't really have to. Someone else is going to come in and do it, and they'll get five bucks, and I won't. I think that God showed Jonah something in this process that is very similar to what he shows us a lot of times. And we see his sovereignty um, come out. I think that uh, something that we see and that I've been thinking a lot about is how with the story of Jonah, Jonah decides he doesn't want to go to this place and runs the opposite way. God intersects him with a storm and a fish. And I wonder how often in our lives, as we're disobedient to the call that God places in our lives, instead of us missing out on a blessing, I wonder how often he actually intersects us with a storm and a fish. And our obedience doesn't negate where God wants to take us because he's going to get us there. But our obedience determines how much we enjoy the ride. The second thing, as we kind of come to look at the book of Jonah, we see God's sovereignty come out in a way that the language that is used, God appointed, God appointed, God provided, God used, God made. Um, And we see that six times in the book of Jonah. God appointed a storm when he was in the boat. God provided a fish when he went overboard. God uh, made the fish vomit him up on dry land. God provided a vine to give him shade. He provided a worm to eat the plant. And then he provided a strong east wind that gave discomfort to Jonah. The thing that I look at and I see God's sovereignty throughout this story is you look at this and go, all right, God is using things to get Jonah's attention, but for what? And initially you think, well, to get him to Nineveh, right? But half of those things that God did to get Jonah's attention were after the Ninevites had, had, um, had repented. Half of those things weren't to get him there and to see the, the mission succeed. Half of those things were done afterward. And I'm wondering, what is it that those things are actually doing? God's getting Jonah's attention for something. And what does he want to teach him? If you look at the last three, what you, what you get a picture of, God has relented from the destruction that he's going to bring on Nineveh. And Jonah has gone to the outside of the city, city angry at God for not destroying them and is sitting waiting to see if God will actually do it. And God provides a vine. It gives comfort to Jonah and he's happy. And then God appoints a worm to eat the vine. And Jonah is so mad that he could die. And he, he teaches him this, this, this little thing that reveals something about God's character. And reveals something within Jonah's heart. He, he, he asks him, are you, are you right to be angry about the vine that sprung up in a night and, and withered? That you didn't work for? That was just there? That was a... a just showing you my goodness, this little vine that's insignificant. Are you right to be angry about that? What about this 120,000 people and cattle? These 120,000 image bearers 
of mine that you don't even care about. You care more about this vine that's gone. It, it's, it, it sprang up in a night and it's gone. You care more about this vine and your comfort than you do about all of these people that don't know their right hand from their left. And that's what, what God is showing Jonah. He's revealing to him the idol that he has in his life of just this hatred toward this group of people and that they don't deserve God's forgiveness. It's better for me to die than to see these people receive God's forgiveness. You care more about this plant. And I wonder how many things in our lives we look at and go, I care more about this thing than I do all of these people who are need in need of God's forgiveness. And I think that we see within this that there's a verse at the end of the very last verse in the book of Jonah. Um, Should I not have pity on this great city? And something that that I've I've noticed within this is that the point of the book of Jonah is showing Jonah's heart and his his attitude toward his own people in in just this way that my people are the good ones and these people are the bad ones. And when God says, should I not have pity on this city? We're not talking about Israelites. We're talking about Assyria, the brutal Assyrians that kill the Israelites and eventually take them uh, into captivity. This is the people group that we're talking about. It's not the Israelites. And so God, in in showing this to Jonah, is, is showing him his heart of how my people are more important than these people. He's showing him that he's the God, not just of one nation, but of all nations. That everyone is important to the Lord. That all these people, all these people, it doesn't matter where they are, all these people are important to the Lord. And so we get this, we, we see that God is um, the God of all, all these nations. And as I was, as I was uh, this year in Asia, one thing that we did together as a team is we read through the entire Bible uh, in our year together. And as we were reading through, one thing that I think being out of, um, out of your primary context does is it, it shows you things that you may not necessarily see all the time. And as I'm reading through the Bible this year, I'm noticing how frequently it reveals God's heart for nations and for all people. Um, and, and it's just over and over and over and over again. Why, why does God just frequently tell us about his heart for the nations, that he's the God of the nations? He's not just the God of these people, but he wants everyone to be co-heirs with Christ. And one thing that this kind of leads to, in my heart anyway, is this tension between global and local missions. Because I look at it and go, there's so much said about about global. How do I how do I how do I wrestle with this, and, and what do I, what do I do with this? And I think about it a little bit this way. So every year we have a we have a termite bond on our house, and so every year the termite guy comes and inspects and and you know. Um, comes and the crawl space is locked, and so he has to call me and come back and, and do it again. But every year he comes and he and he does this. And one of the things that he tells me every year is where our crawl space is and how you get into it. There's kind of some grass growing up and, and some dirt that's built up to where the door is actually down a little bit. And he tells me every year, you need to dig this out and put some bricks in there and make it um, to where this the the soil isn't going all the way up to the door. And, you know, I don't have a shovel. And every year, I just kind of am like, well, I don't have a shovel. And I could go and get one. But then I forget it because I forget about it because I don't go in my crawl space ever. When, when am I going to go in the crawl space? So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind until the next year. When the termite guy comes back and he calls me and says, I'm coming, you need to unlock the crawl space. 
And I remember it, and I feel guilty and hope that he doesn't say anything about it again. It's, it's kind of one of those things that, that it's a needed thing to do. It's just this kind of small thing. You probably have small things around your house that you do the same thing with. Um, it's this small thing that you're like, I, I need to do that, but I, don't, I never remember it because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think that the reason that God tells us so much about the nations is because it's the same concept. It's out of sight, out of mind. These faceless, nameless people, I don't know them. I don't, I don't see their need constantly every day like I do the people that live right next door to me. I don't see the hurt and the, and the, the lack of, in a city of 30 million people like we were in, never ever seeing a church building. I don't see that. I don't feel that because it's far from me. It's, it's out of sight, out of mind. And I think that that's why we see it so frequently in Scripture is that there's a tension within us that we, we see this, we understand, we, we feel the need for this, but then because it's not right in front of us, we forget about it. And it, and it has to continue to be brought in front of us because local mission is one of those things that when your life has been changed by Christ, you've been transformed and your outlook is totally different. You see the hurting people and you see that there are needs that need to be met and I can be a part of that. It's being who you are in Christ. It's living a life that's transformed by Christ every day. But... Globally, it, it takes a little more effort to, to, to remember and, and, to, and actually go and do. And so it's a little harder. Um, and this tension has been going on for years. I mean, look at the, the early church. Go back to Acts and look and see Christ resurrected tell his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations and then rise into the heavens and then they receive the Holy Spirit in great power and they stay in Jerusalem. And they stay there until the persecution starts. Stephen's stoned and then the church is scattered. Then, then because of the persecution, the gospel goes out to the nations. And it's a very good thing that it did. Where would be we be otherwise? But there's this tension because we that's where we live. That's 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 where we 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 are constantly. But I think that if we if we look at God's heart for the nations and we we sit back and, and we forget about it and, and we don't think about it, we're missing something. Because God's heart is for the nations. We see it clearly all throughout Scripture. And so I want to spend the last couple of minutes just looking at how can we be involved in God's heart for global, um, God's global heart for all people, for all nations. And there are three things that I look at and I see that we can do. We can, we can pray, we can send, and we can go. And I think that those are, those are things that you're like, yeah, obviously. But... They can't be overstated, and they can't be forgotten. And so, uh, starting with prayer, when I say prayer, really pray. Like, uh, one thing that I learned over this year, and that especially in spring semester when we really started seeing that we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, is that I wish, there's no possible way that if I had come in 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 fall, that I could have overemphasized the need for us to pray, 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 pray consistently for each other, pray consistently for God to move and to, to protect us and to protect our friends. There's no possible way that I could have overstated that. And we need that, not just, not just from the people that are there. That needs to happen, but we need that from everyone here because in the middle of everything that was hard, that's what we needed. We needed people praying for us consistently and and constantly, we needed people. We need people com- committed to that, to not forgetting about that. Um, and so, 
one thing um, that that I want to um, just kind of encourage you in ways that you can be a part of that. Involve yourself in praying for missionaries. And an idea that I had with that is every, every nation that people go to is going to be different than America. And there are going to be things that the missionaries that are there miss or maybe not, uh, it's not very readily available to them. Find out what that thing is. Like talk to your people that are missionaries out there. Find out what that thing is and take uh, a couple of days every month and fast from that. You kind of involve yourself in what they're going through, and you can you remember to pray for them as you do it. Um, involve yourself in praying for the nations as well. Um, check out joshuaproject.net. Joshuaproject.net will will give you it first of all will inform you about the needs, and then it gives you a different people group that you can pray for every day. So go to Joshua Project, make that a priority to do that, and pray for the nations. Second thing, send. Um, kind of a funny story that happened to me this year that I'm definitely going to steal from this guy as he did it. But we, um, one of the guys that was on our team this year got married to a national staff uh, while we were there. And we were having a cookout for him. And I had this huge bag of food that I needed to get up to the eighth floor roof of this building so that we could cook it. And I'm waiting on someone to come by and help me get it up there. This guy comes by, one of our staff guys, and he's like, hey, you need some help? And I'm like, yeah, I I need to get this up to the eighth floor. And he's like, I'll pray for you. And so, and and then he actually started to pray. God, would you help get this bag of food up to the, and and the the thing, it's really funny, but like, it really makes me think of the way that, that we are a lot of times, except he actually took the time to pray right there, which is sometimes something that we're like, I'm going to pray for you, and, and we forget about even, even that. But the thing that it makes me think about is how, is how sending requires action. Like, it, it's, it's something that, that you, have to, you have to intentionally be a part of. Um, two ways of sending that I look at and, and thought a lot about this year as we, as we were there, one of the things that we really wanted to learn while we were there was how to really send well while we're there, to send people over there, to bring people with us and to send and to be a part of that. And so there are two ways of sending that I look at. Um, we, we can look at sending this way. Oh, you want to go? Okay, I'll pray for you. Um, we, we give an unsacrificial gift. And next month, when that gift didn't really hurt our pocket very much, we've already forgotten about the gift. And as we've forgotten about the gift, we forgot we forget about the missionaries too. Um, there's a really good article that I'll try to post um, uh, online uh, this week. But a missionary um, in in Europe somewhere wrote an article about ways that you can you can help missionaries abroad and the things that that are really missing. Being forgotten about when you're overseas is really something that comes up um, and is is something that this forgetting about the missionary, they feel forgotten and they feel discouraged um, in that. Nothing makes being away from home harder than being discouraged and feeling like you were were sent away and forgotten. Um, When that happens, longevity suffers. How can you continue to stay in a place that's hard when you feel like you've been forgotten and discouraged? Longevity of the ministry suffers. The second way, how can, how can we really send well? We change our attitude and our perspective. We must send you. These people need the gospel, and you need to go and take it to them. We have to send you out. Um, this leads to real prayer and real action. We give, give a sacrificial gift, and next month, when you're still feeling the sacrifice that you made, you still remember the missionary that's gone. And you still remember to pray for them and to be involved in what they're doing. You're, you're a part of that because you're still feeling that. Um, you, you feel, when, when this happens, the, you feel that gift, and the missionary feels cared for, 
and encouraged because they know that you are with them in what they're doing. Um, and hearing from, hearing from people. Letting, letting people know that you're praying for them. Like, as you pray for the missionaries you send out, it will not bother them for you to send them an email and tell them, hey, we're praying for you. It lets them know you haven't forgotten about them. And it lets them know that the much-needed prayer that they need is being um, prayed consistently. Um, they feel cared for and encouraged. And when, you're, when you feel cared for and encouraged, the inconveniences of being away from home are easier. You can, you can handle it because you feel like people are behind you and care about what you're doing. Longevity happens when, when, you, when you, that, you can, there can be longevity. Um, this is real partnership in the gospel. This is when you see not just a person that, um, that has gone and been forgotten about, but there are people that are with you in this. They're with you in, in pressing you forward and, and care about what you're doing. The, the other thing with sending is always keeping the question on the table, when and where can I go? When and where can I go? Don't take it off. You may have a steady, stable job and you're settled, but always asking the Lord, when and where can I go? And for how long? Um, keeping that out there. Don't take that off the table. Never, ever take that off the table. Find out when and where can I go. The third thing, go. Um, actively pursuing opportunities to go. A great place to start with this is talking to your missionaries that you've sent out and saying, hey, we want to come and be a part of what's going on. How can we do that? How can we come and, and encourage you and, and push your ministry forward and be a part of what you're doing? Find out what your, what your missionaries are doing and see if you can go over. It's amazing how encouraging that is. While we were there this year, um, Keith Miller, um, pastor at Life's Journey, I don't even know him that well. Uh, but he emailed me and said, hey, I want to come over. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. Um, and we had a, we had a short-term uh, one-week uh, team coming over in actually like a month. And I'm like, this is short notice, but in a month there's a team coming over that you can jump in with um, and, and, and come over and we can uh, let you be a part of what's going on. He's like, all right. So a month later, Keith Miller shows up. And it's amazing. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know the guy that well. But it was so encouraging to have someone that, that, that wanted to see what we were doing and wanted to see how he could encourage us and push us forward and took the time to come and be a part of it. See how you can join your missionaries and what they're doing. Um, if, and, if, and if that doesn't work, if you can't... If you, that there's not an opportunity for you to do that. There are mission organizations out there. E3 is a good one that you can go. Uh, they have short-term trips that they can take you on and, and train you and get you in, in good places with teams that you can um, be able to, to go and share the gospel and have people in place that will follow up with people and continue the ministry after you're gone. Find ways that you can engage globally um, in, in praying and in sending and in going. Those are so important. And when, if we reorient our life in this way, that the gospel is important and, and God's heart for the nations, that all these people that are out of sight and out of mind, they're important to the Lord. If we remember that constantly and we orient our life in a way that we're praying, we're sending, we're going, we can see things happen. We can see the gospel transform lives. And I think that when you see the gospel transform lives, it affects you as much as it does the people that, that are, are receiving the missionaries and are receiving um, what it is that you're doing. It affects you just as much in that. We're going to enter into a time of communion um, now. And this is, this is actually kind of special for us to be a part of because we've, we haven't um, in a year's time in a close country. Uh, this is the first time in a year that we've been able to sing worship to the Lord loudly, and I like to sing loudly. Um, and this is the first time that we've been in a large group where we've gotten to take communion. 
um, in a year's time. We see a demonstration of the gospel as we take communion. We see um, the covenant that was established to us in Christ's blood and in his body that was broken for us. And as we take of the, of the bread and the juice and the, or the wine, we see, uh, we, we remember again and again what Christ did for us. And I think that it's very fitting today as we, as we think about what Christ did for us in this new covenant that was established through his blood. This new covenant, what was this new covenant that was established? Well, there was an old covenant that was established that there was a group of people, the Israelites, that had a sacrificial system that was an image of what was to come. And we see in Christ this new covenant that's established, not just with one people, but with all people of his blood that was poured out for us and his body that was broken. And I'd love for today, as you take communion, to take it in a way that you're joining with the brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world in saying, I may not even know this person, but they're bound for the same eternity that I am. Because we share this covenant of the broken body and the blood that was poured out for forgiveness of our sins. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We'll see them one day, even though we may have never seen them before. And that all around the throne of the Lord, that there are going to be people from every tribe and every tongue worshiping the same God that we bear the image of.